And so a lot of that healing that went on surrounding their marriage during the last year or so of his life, she talked through with me. And neither of us knew the damage that would do to my psyche. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Your Life Sucks podcast, destigmatizing mental health through discussion. Hi all, welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're having great weeks and are managing the cold pretty well. I know my Northeast listeners were hit hard by the storm this past weekend, so I hope you guys are thoroughly through winter like I am. I am really, really excited to get back into shorts and t-shirts. Anyway, I'm very excited for today's episode guest featuring Livy Redden from San Diego, California. Livy is the podcast host of Today is the Future, and she's also a mindset educator, entrepreneur, and writer. She teaches teens and 20-somethings how to intentionally create their life and embrace who they are through the power of emotional intelligence, mindfulness, mindset shifts, and accountability. You can see her work at www.livyredden.com. I'll attach that in the episode descriptions. And you could also see her work on IG and TikTok at Livy Redden. I'll attach that in the episode description as well. Her new book, called The Sooner You Know the Better, comes out in late February. On today's podcast, she's going to be speaking about her experiences with anxiety and how her struggles have given her the strength to create, really, an empire of this wealth of mental health resources. Livy's doing so much great work for the mental health community. I am so excited for this call. Let's get to it. Hey, Livy, how are you? I am so good. Oh, that's, that, that's great to hear. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast, and um, I hope my listeners, my listeners are too, because uh, you're pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so let's get to it. Let's re- start with your anxiety. Start wherever you want to start, and uh, we'll we'll just start. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So as far as my life goes, I grew up in Utah. You know, had you know pretty standard childhood. I was I was involved in sports. I uh, grew up in a very athletic family. Um, being a six foot tall girl, of course, I played basketball, mm-hmm. uh, played tennis. I was part of a big tennis family. Um, and I um, naturally kind of fell into this leadership type personality, very extroverted, quite bossy as a child, had to, had to get that under wraps. Mm-hmm. There were definitely things that showed up as a young adult like as a young child um, that were symptoms of anxiety. So I was diagnosed with anxiety about a year and a half ago. Um, Mm -hmm. There were definitely symptoms that showed up in my early age. Since I played basketball, I would get a lot of cuts on my hands from basketball. And like a common symptom in anxiety is like picking at your skin. And so I have like now that I'm older, I have a lot of these scars on my hands um, from that kind of coping. As I've been writing my book that's coming out this year, I was looking back at old shameless plug. Um, Mm -hmm. I was looking, I was looking um, back at old journal. I was pretty good Mm -hmm. at journaling, uh, like elementary school, middle school. And um, my, I remember my anxiety, like eighth grade was probably one of the worst years of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because I had like my anxiety was just overwhelming, but I didn't have the emotional intelligence vocabulary to express what it was. Um, and I would just spend like hours like in the shower, just like feeling so overwhelmed and like hopeless. So what do you um, by hours in the shower? Would you like 
sit or stand in the shower for hours and just things like <laughs> you know tell, um, us, tell us some of the symptoms that 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 were going on at this time in eighth grade I mean I remember um so what I was saying with the journals is I mm-hmm. I was reading this one journal passage and I read it and it just like brought me to tears like eighth grade me and I was saying I feel really guilty all the time that was the only I didn't know what anxiety was so I the only thing I could compare the feeling to was being feeling guilty mm-hmm. and um I was like I feel really guilty all the time but I haven't done anything wrong and I don't know am I a bad person I had this conflict uh and it kind of radiated out into feeling uncertain with school life even sexuality like as I'm trying to figure out who I am um, it just radiated into so many other aspects. And I remember like oftentimes at that age, you know, I wasn't a meditator yet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, your most silent moments, uh, the shower is one of them. And I remember having mm-hmm. a lot of long, uh, like introspective conversations in the shower in in like middle school, just trying to figure out like what was going on in my mind Um, And I remember like going to church was a familiar safe space for me. And I was starting to get this quote guilty feeling. Mm -hmm. I was like, is, is, is this a bad place? Is it me? That's a bad person. Um, So it just caused a lot of internal conflict, um, that anxiety. And then uh, my dad was diagnosed with a terminal illness when I was 11. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about that. Yeah, so we had ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, wow. um, which is a neurodegenerative disease. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's one of the worst sicknesses you can get. Um, I have, I really cannot empathize with you at all because, you know, what your father and your family went through must have been in- incredibly painful. But, I mean, yes, it, it's really just, it's portrayed it, it's in media as one. one of the hardest. And, I mean, I can only imagine how hard it was for you. Yeah, yeah, it was it was definitely tough. So generally what happens when you get diagnosed with ALS, essentially say like you have two to five years to live. Fairs in order, you're going to die. Like there's nothing, there's no treatments, there's no cure. Like there's literally nothing they can do. For other, like more common diseases that aren't as, as orphan diseases, like, like cancer, for example, you know, there's treatments, like you can do radiation, there's things that you can kind mm-hmm. of grasp on to hope, hope for. It's really not the case. Like it is terminal for most everyone. Um, mm-hmm. Well, everyone (laughs) Uh, and uh and um so you know my parents like slowly eased that reality in and my mom did such a beautiful job uh having conversations with us about what was going on and I remember I mean one of my like core memories from that from which I will say I'm very grateful for I wouldn't change it for the world Mm -hmm. um was I was sitting on my mom's lap in my dad's office I was like 12 um and there's a famous football player uh Gleason and I was watching my mom was showing me a video of him he he got ALS um Mm -hmm. I want to say 10 years ago and it it showed his progression from like being a pro football player and becoming into becoming a quadriplegic that's on a trach and ventilator and a feeding tube and and losing 
uh, tons of tons of weight. And I remember seeing that and I looked at my mom and I was like, is that going to happen to dad? And she told me yes. And I just sat there and cried with her. Um, and it was like such a overwhelming thing to process as a young kid because you're Mm -hmm. still you're still in that that uh stage of trying to just process your emotions in general and learn yeah you can't you can't grasp a concept as abstract and deep as your father's death i I assume i mean it must have been incredibly challenging to to wrap your head around that yeah it, it was but i will say like my mom is quite literally my guardian angel like I don't like just the most incredible woman ever and she Mm -hmm. just did such a beautiful 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 job to make that process um of my growing up with that challenge um Mm -hmm. as as pleasant as she could make it for us and so uh anyways to kind of wrap up on that so my dad passed when I was 17 it's pretty rare that someone with ALS gets a trach but he did um we did a lot of we did ALS 5k races we raised some money for research uh we did advocacy stuff throughout those years so Mm -hmm. I I grew up helping plan (laughs) uh like advocacy ALS races you know we did a lot of stuff with the ice bucket challenge and Mm -hmm. that was a big trend Mm -hmm um i did that and uh yeah yeah we did we did the ice bucket challenge with our city mayor oh that's uh, great with some other people yeah it was it was great we went we went to uh we did it on the news at cowabunga bay i made like a documentary about people with als in in middle school maybe that was high school i don't know so yeah Mm -hmm. we gotta i I gotta take part of of a lot of really cool things uh Mm -hmm. because of that and then with my dad's passing at 17 uh i i think it was time like i don't i don't really and i think a lot of people that grow up or experience a parent or family member be sick for that long you kind of you kind of know like it's it's pretty peaceful uh when they pass because the grieving process has already pretty much been finished Mm -hmm. um and uh you know can i ask can i ask yeah go ahead you mentioned earlier that you would you would never change your father's death for the world can I ask why yeah so um you know it was just despite the struggle and you know I think you know my mom was a full-time 24-hour caregiver we didn't have any help until like the last year of his life because we couldn't uh, we couldn't afford it, and insurance is very weird with that stuff. There was a lot of anxiety in our house, uh, you know, constantly trying to keep a quadriplegic on a on life support alive. You can imagine mm-hmm. <laughs> has some anxious side effects. So it was always kind of like like a survival mode, and I think that definitely increased my anxiety. Um, but despite that, um, I feel so grateful for one the love I've seen from an early age, just the beauty of community. I mean, we just had the most insane community around us, supporting us, supporting us uh, by bringing meals or, or financially or, or coming to, you know, hang out with my dad or, or sit with him, uh, drive me and my sister to athletics or to school. And I think it was really cool what people did for our family, but also how it brought the community and our city together. 
mm-hmm. in our neighborhood. Um, it was it was a pretty powerful thing, and and a lot of people have said since my dad's passing, like how incredible those years were for the neighborhood, and, and it and that that it caused so many p- other people around us to like change their lives, spend more time with their family, or connect with the person that's lived next to them for ten years that they never really talked to. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it did so much for our community and learned so much from a young age about putting life into a bigger perspective, learning the power of like simple acts of service, um, understanding the concepts of, of death and empathy and compassion and, and how to talk about emotions that trial really allowed for me to grow in those areas. And, I, and it did the same for my, my family, my sister, my mom as well. And you know, I just think I think life has a cool way of of always turning out just the way it's supposed to, and, mm-hmm. and you you learn, and so that's why I wouldn't. I definitely, definitely would not change anything because just I wouldn't be who I am, and and I like who I am. So. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You mentioned in our pre-talk another major stressor in your life, and that was actually your parents' bad relationship and the bumps they faced in in your early years you want to talk about that and how that related to your anxiety yeah so even before my dad got sick it was a pretty we had a pretty high stress household Mm -hmm. um my my parents there's a lot of yelling you know anxiety just tended to fill our house uh a lot of the time and not to like get me wrong like there's a lot a lot of love there especially radiating from my mom um, like I always felt since a young, young age, I felt like to be able to have a parent that you can, you can feel very trusting of, like, I know, I knew from a young age, I could tell her anything. I could be anything. I could do anything. And she would accept me and love me no matter what. And there's so many people that don't have that. And so despite, despite the anxiety and, and some of the anger and contention that went on, there was always an underlying feeling of motherly love. But, you know, uh, my dad was, was someone that, that uh, really beautiful spirit, really beautiful heart. Um, but, you know, he had a lot of demons that he was always fighting, uh, this, this desire for money and uh, for power and, and, and insecurity and, and narcissistic tendencies and... Um, and it was really cool when he passed. It was kind of like he was able to be freed of all of all those inner conflicts. My parents had a lot of conflicts, and uh, I definitely noticed. Um, like I would go over to a friend's houses, and and their parents would be affectionate towards each other. They would be on the couch watching a movie together, and I would be shocked. I would like be like, "Do your your parents always like this? Like I never see this." Mm-hmm. And um. And so I think it definitely affected the way um, I understood what a marriage was come home and are excited to see each other and hug and kiss each other and, and wanted acts of service for each other. I never saw that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I, think, I think a lot of young people relate to that. As I grew up and, and my mom, uh, near the end of my dad's life, my mom went through a really big self-love journey of learning, relearning who she was not just in relation to being a mom or a wife, but in who Leah is, who she is as a person. Mm-hmm. And um, 
as she went through that healing process, she she figured out a lot of things <laughs> about her marriage, like, oh, I was, uh, this was not okay, or, or I shouldn't have been doing this, um, or acting in this way. You know, as she went through that healing process, when I was about 16, I was the only one home, my sister was out of the house, and my dad was a quadriplegic, couldn't talk. So mm-hmm. a, a lot of that conversation fell on me. Um, and so I was learning about all of these very, very heavy, deep topics and, and, and somewhat dark things that went on in their marriage um, that I had not known. And it kind of crumbled the view that I had of my family and of my parents' marriage. And at the time, I was like, I'm mature. Uh, me and my mom were very much, regardless of my age, uh, you know, I've always, people say I have that old soul vibe whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you do kind and, of uh, <laughs> and uh you know we we really were more peers than anything at peers and roommates <laughs> mm-hmm. then uh because she was she was so encased in taking care of my dad so you know it was hard to always be a motherly figure um, and I've always been independent from a young age. So we were more of like a peer relationship. And so a lot of that uh, healing that went on surrounding their marriage during the last year or so of his life, she talked through with me. And neither of us knew the damage that would do to my psyche <laughs> uh, at the time. And so later on, like after my dad passed and, and dating more and, and think and figuring out more what I want in a partner, I realized how, how it affected me and how much uh, I really had come to almost like despise um, love and uh, just a feeling of why can't I be 100, 100% independent? Why do I have this desire to want somebody else when it seems to make everyone around me miserable? Mm-hmm. And so that was something that I spent about two years digging really deep into healing. Yeah, um, so let's talk about your, your diagnosis now. So did you go to therapy to work through these emotions and, and these traumas that you dealt with? I went to therapy when I was about 14 to deal with talking about grief and my dad's, uh, my dad's diagnosis and what was going on at home. But actually, as far as, you know, I would say by the time my dad passed, a lot of the struggle of that time in my life had been pretty resolved mm-hmm. um, just through, I, actually, I, I would say more of it was, was resolved through learning and speaking with other people that had gone through similar things, speaking with my mom, uh, just talking through my emotions, not necessarily, I think therapy is, is awesome for some people, but I feel like it didn't, it didn't have as strong as an effect on myself. Mm-hmm. I would say that the journey of healing my feelings around love and marriage and companionship was a lot more painful of a process than mm-hmm then working through what happened to, happened as a child with my dad's illness, which is surprising. Uh, but yeah, I, I spent about two years uh, after high school. So like 19, 18, 19, um, really diving deep into books and, and podcasts and, and practices 
that would help me improve that relationship that relationship I had with love and the idea of love like intimate love mm-hmm. uh and it worked and it, and it was hard and I cried a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh but I I feel so much more loving as a person now and and I feel so I feel like I can express um, and be vulnerable more, not just in an intimate way, but just in general with people. I feel like I'm able to express love more freely. And I, even though that healing process was hard, it was one of the best things I did. Um, because I know I would want to say no time can heal your, your wounds. I think healing is very intentional. Mm -hmm. Um, it's something that takes work. I often equate it to working out like you know it's it's very intense and very stressful on your body but results only come when you put in the work and and so too with any therapeutic process it's going to hurt a lot and you're going to cry a lot Mm -hmm. and you're going to spend hours in the shower but but when you put in the work (laughs) it will work and Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you time time really does not heal all so let's talk about speaking of work let's talk about your work now and your advocacy and, and your podcast and your new book that's coming out you know tell us all about that yeah you know kind of learning the these the skills for myself uh i started getting really deep into healing the parts of me that i struggled with via those two those two trials got really deep into personal growth and therapy styles and neuroscience and psychology now after deeply studying a lot of those topics from you know like sophomore year of high school i've seen the impact that delivering those topics can have to to a young audience and that's why i really love what you're doing ben is that um thank you yeah truly the whole core of what I do uh, is that a lot of times these these topics around mental health, personal growth, mindfulness, self-awareness are, are targeted to an older audience, mm-hmm. um, especially in like the self-help industry. But if you can deliver topics around emotional intelligence, especially to young people while their brain is still in this malleable developmental stage, it literally can change the way their brain develops and change the way they date, the way, the way they marry, the way they decision make, the way they go in their careers, the, the way they, they make friendships, the way they, mm-hmm. they process their emotions and their internal dialogue. Um, because I think it's, it's a even lot more easier. powerful. I think it's even more mm-hmm. powerful and it can change their development even more when it's coming from a young person like you. I think you mm-hmm. doing this research and you putting out these products of the podcast and the book and your website and your TikToks and, and, and anything else, it mm-hmm. really makes it so much more impactful for them. Yeah. And so that, that's my whole mission is, is delivering, helping young people. Um, thank you, by the way. Uh, of course. Delivering young people the information because it, it, it is all things that can be taught um, by, mm-hmm. by anyone to anyone um, how to, how to, label and recognize your emotions and and work through them and and let yourself feel them um and i think if more if young people or children or teenagers can learn that early on it's it's much easier to train a puppy than than an old dog so that is like the passion of my soul um Mm -hmm. the sooner you know the better yeah so that's that's my book Uh, (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah my book is is titled the sooner you know the better and i just deliver 
very vulnerable stories, but also practices and and tips on how to uh, be more mindful and self-aware. And, and, you know, this, this time of our lives doesn't need to be as confusing and, and chaotic and anxiety driven as I think we often make it. Uh, mm-hmm. and so I, I give some tips and, and stories to help people feel seen and, and to navigate this, this 20, 20 something time of our lives in a, in a more clear and aligned way. Um, so I'm very excited that book come, my book comes out February 22nd. And mm-hmm. then I also, I'm starting up my podcast again in March of this mm-hmm. year, uh, where exciting. I interview young adults about mindset. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's me. Your work is really incredible and, um, you're just doing so many great things. So, um, the mental Thank health you. community, which is really all of us needs you and, and needs people like you. So your work is just so appreciated by by all of us really thank you my last question for you is that you talk a lot about a lot on all your platforms including topics such as mindfulness and communication and relationships and your new Mm -hmm. book is packed with so much great stuff however imagine (laughs) you could only write your book on one page what would be written on that page how would you distill all of your messages onto one page i would say if you want to live a joyful and blissful and peaceful life. It's not about achieving anything or being anything or becoming anything or fixing yourself. I would say it really comes down to living in alignment. If you can, if you can live in alignment, if you can look inside and, and really take into account what, who your truest self is and what that means and, and how you would go about life if you were acting in the truest form of who you are, if you can do that and work towards doing that, you're winning. Like that's all, that's all you need. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a way to get rid of a lot of longing and feeling like you're not doing life right is if you're living in alignment and you're working to live in alignment with the truest version of you, then you've won. Mm-hmm. Just be your, just be your dang self. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that message. Thank you so much, Libby. And thank you very much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and your work. Guys, check in today's episode description, as I said, for all of Libby's work, her podcast, book, et cetera, et cetera. We'll see you next time, guys.